We've been reading the book of Philippians for the past couple of months. It's been really great. And we've been sort of going through it verse by verse. That's one way of reading the Bible, just to follow it through. But what I'm picking up today is something out of the book of Philippians, which is not... It's, it's, in every pass, it's in every part of it, but it's a theme that you don't necessarily notice as you're going through, which is the subject of joy. More than any other book in the New Testament, Philippians is about joy. So rather than just doing verse by verse today, I'm, I've picked out the word joy and rejoice and have joy and so on right throughout this book and uh, to look at it. And um, I've got a couple of questions for you first which we're going to look at in a, in a roundabout sort of way. But really, we're looking at this. Where does joy come from? Where doesn't joy come from? That's a good question, isn't it? Or what stifles joy? What kills your joy? And um, what is joy? We'll look at that right up front. And, but really, what I want to ask is one important question today. Do you have joy? Are you joyful? If so, is that the, you sort of sit at home and think, joy is the centre of my being. Is that it? Um, right. So what is joy? And I thought, I think we kind of know what it is, but uh, we need a definition because I couldn't work it out myself to write down something. So I looked up a dictionary. <laughs> that sounds tremendously boring, but here we go. It says three things. It's having great delight from something which is exceptionally good that sounds like God doesn't it but having delight from something that's exceptionally good having great delight from something that is deeply satisfying sounds a lot like God too yeah you know where we're going here and three having great delight appreciating or seeing and knowing something of great value or worth gee these are deep meanings isn't it isn't that great I think that whoever wrote that dictionary must have been a Christian. Um, no, they didn't have Jesus. That's okay. When we see something of exceptional goodness, exceptional purity, exceptional holiness, it's glorious and we have a delight in our being. We are deeply satisfied. When we're deeply satisfied, we are full of joy. And when we see and know something of the greatest value and worth, we have a delight or a joy. We're not talking about laughing, okay? I could tell you lots of funny jokes because I probably know most of them. But they, they may bring a smile to your face, they may bring laugh out loud, but that's not joy. Can you see that joy is something more deep-seated? It's something that's not just momentary, uh, it is something which is very, very deep. And I'll say it again, we have joy when we see the exceptional goodness and holiness of God. When you look at God, actually you might say, if I look at the holiness of God, that's a bit frightening. But you see, if you could look at the holiness of God and know you wouldn't be consumed, then that would bring you joy. And we have joy when we're satisfied in the very depths of our being because we know God, because we know we have a Father, because he loves us, then we can love him, because we know his Son and what he's done for us, because the Holy Spirit lives in us and gives us an incredible joy, we are satisfied. 
And we now have joy when we see that thing which is of greatest worth, which is quite simply God. But God is not just a being. His being works out in action. He is. He does as he is. And when we see what he's done, we see the true treasure in heaven and we know it is incomparable. There is nothing like God and knowing him. It is, as Paul says, things words like beyond measure, of surpassing worth, of surpassing greatness. Jesus said the treasure in heaven, the pearl of great price, all of that is the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. So I want to ask you again, do you have a joy like I've just spoken about? Would you call your life a life of joy? I don't want you to just pass over that question today. I want you to think deeply on it. And if the answer is yes, excellent. Keep going deeper into Christ. Keep getting more joy. And if the answer is no, I don't have this joy, then take it seriously and think that possibly what I'm saying today could be the most important message you'll ever hear. Because the joy we're talking about is not momentary, it is eternal, of eternal value. Can you see what I'm saying? I'm not just talking about ha ha ha, a happy day. I'm talking about happy, joy, eternal delight forever. That's why it's important. Because who wants to be miserable forever? Yay. I'm all looking forward to that. Come on, put up your hand if you want to be miserable forever. Okay. I say that jokingly, but it's kind of a serious thing, right? Like eternal condemnation, eternal pain and suffering. Who wants that? Who wants hell? So I'm looking six different ways in Philippians that Paul speaks about this deep delight. And the first one is quite simply... God, to know him. It's not, you, you knew I had to go there, didn't you? But it's not just to know God. I mean, firstly, we know God's sovereign. You know that God's in control of all things. You know that God's in control of your life. Right. That can be either a very frightening thing or, or a very peaceful thing. Because you see, If God is in control of everything, then how he views you is of the most importance. Can you see what I'm saying? If he is all-powerful and he's angry with you, there's trouble for you. (laughs) If he's all-powerful and he is gracious and full of love, then we've got something to look forward to. And so Paul says this, as a way that we can have joy. He starts chapter 2 by saying, make my joy complete by being like the God you know. And what is this God that we know like? What is he? Because you see, if you know God as he really is, you'll have joy. And he says, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, because that's how we know what God's like. To look at Jesus. You want to know what God's character is? Look at Jesus. Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is Philippians 2.6. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. What did he do? He served us unto death on a cross. He gave up his life. He loved us so much that he took our sins and he took the punishment for them. And Jesus is just like God. How does God view you? Well, through Christ, when you have faith in Christ, you do not have sins anymore. There is nothing that separates you from him. He looks on you with pure love. That's a good place to start, isn't it? So if you do that, I'm sure you'll have, if you know that, sorry, you will have complete joy. The eternal God accepts you. He loves you. And as we said, he is loving, glorious and perfect. So as you keep looking at him and what he's done, you'll have joy. I tell you, if you keep looking at what Jesus has done for you and what he's like, you'll be drawn into worship. There's no other place to go when you look at Jesus. You will worship him. You get what I'm saying? Because he is wonderful and he is more wonderful than anything else in this world. And if you don't know that this is what God is like, you will never have joy. That's a big statement, isn't it? If you don't know what God is like through Christ, you can't have joy. You'll always be striving and there'll always be something which is very fearful in your life. And that's God. But if you look to him, you'll always have joy and you'll have a true and lasting joy. So I've got six points, but there's only one really that's of greatest importance. And that is this. If you don't have this joy, then come to know Jesus today. Turn to him. Trust in him and you can leave behind your misery. That song we said, I, he filled my empty little heart. Without Christ, there is no, nothing but an empty little heart. Turn from your misery, accept his salvation, see his forgiveness, see his restoration and understand it's all by his gift. When you receive this, you will have joy. So to know God as he truly is in Christ is the first place that Paul says you can get joy. The second place, he says, is I have joy when the gospel, that's the good news which I just told you about, Jesus, where that gospel is proclaimed. Because you see, if to know him is the greatest thing ever and to know what he's like in Christ and know what he's done for you in Christ, then you'll have joy when you hear about that again. And you'll have joy when you know that other people are telling the same story. Won't you? It's a good story. So in Philippians 1.18, he says, What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or the truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. It's one thing I rejoice in. Well, it's not what he's saying. I rejoice when I know Christ is proclaimed. I love God so much. I love hearing about what Jesus has done, and I don't care how... I don't care how it happens, he's saying. I have great joy whenever the name of Jesus is proclaimed. Because the gospel, that is the good news about Jesus, that is this message of him 
dying for us, right, is called the power of God to salvation. Which means this, as someone proclaims that message, people are saved. How is it that people come to save? By seeing that we're nice people? No. By the proclamation of Jesus. And that is the way that God has brought, has said that people will come to believe is that when we speak about Jesus, when we proclaim this message, the Holy Spirit will be there and he will come and change people's lives. And he will come and even as we speak about Jesus bringing a cleansed new heart, the Holy Spirit will come and bring a cleansed new heart to people. Isn't that awesome? He'll do what we speak about because it's the power of God to salvation, this gospel. As we speak about a full forgiveness, he will come and forgive us. As we speak about a washing, he comes and washes us. The Holy Spirit does. Isn't that good? He brings the gospel home. So why is Paul really, really happy when he hears that people are preaching the gospel? Because he knows that people are being saved. And he also knows that people who are already saved are being encouraged and built up. Right? It's like this. When you have something you really, really love or perhaps someone you really, really love, you don't get sick of hearing about them, do you? Hearing the gospel as a Christian, brings more and more and deeper joy. Joy comes. That's point two. Point one, joy in knowing who Jesus really is and who God is. Point two was he has joy when the gospel is preached. Point three, he has joy when, or Paul speaks of a joy that we know when we are secure eternally in Christ. When we have this security Because we live in a world which is full of fear. Right? If we have a security in that fear, then we will have joy. In chapter 1, verse 18, the last part of it, he goes and says this, Yes, and I will rejoice. I I won't point out again. He says rejoice and joy right throughout this letter. He just is full of it. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's in jail and he's about to be faced trial. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not yet not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying, I have joy even though I'm about to either live or die. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. I don't know the answer to this here. But I have joy because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, if I, if I live, I'm going to go and preach in Christ and be full of joy. And if I die, I'm going to be full of joy because I'm going to be with the Father. Can you get what I'm saying? If you know what is going to happen when you die, you will have joy. What can upset a joy that goes through death? What's the worst thing that can face you in this life? Death. Yeah? If you have a joy that goes beyond the grave, sorry, if you have a hope that goes beyond the grave, you will have joy. 
regardless of what you face. Do you know that? I'm going to say this, something that really, really, really offends and annoys people and it has done for a lot of years and I keep saying it and I can't help it. We will all die. Right. Is that offensive? I tell you, I have been really, really scolded for saying that. You will all die. That's more than negative, apparently. I'll tell you this. If you know Christ... I'll tell you something that will fill you with joy. We will all die. Can you hear what I'm saying? And in Christ we will be raised and we will be perfected and we will live in wonderful fellowship with God forevermore. How great is that? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? He's the truth. You know, um, everybody searches, particularly in the Western world, for riches and, and thinks that joy is found in money and riches. Yeah? That's where you find it. That's, that's the basic view of Westernism. But then when you go to the funeral of someone who had all that money, no one, say, no one says in that funeral, I'm so glad he had all that money. It's so useful to him now. No one says that, do they? They will say at those funerals, hopefully if that man was a Christian, isn't it so good that he has eternal life in Christ? They'll say things like that, but no one's going to say, wow, so good that he's got all that money and dead. But the strange thing is, people will never say that and then they'll leave that funeral and spend their whole life looking for worldly riches again. That funeral is living testimony dying testimony to the fact that the riches of Christ are everything and yet we refuse to believe it. I'm telling you, joy can be found in sickness, in suffering and in death because joy comes from hope which comes from Jesus. So Paul says in Philippians 2, 17 and 18, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon a upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. In other words, even if I die for the message of Christ, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. When you have the certain belief in the resurrection, you will have joy. This is of the greatest worth and value. Okay, that's point three. Point four, we will have joy when we put aside all those things that destroy true joy. Oh, this is... Remember at point one I said to truly know God or to know God as he truly is is to have joy? Well, to know God as he truly isn't is to have no joy. If you have a false understanding of God, you will have no joy. Does that make sense? You're shaking your head. That's okay. We'll, we'll try and get there. Uh, you said, remember, uh, remember we started by saying, if you understand Jesus and you understand the cross, then you'll have a joy. Right? But then in Philippians 3.18, he says, 
For many of those of whom I've told you about, and now even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. If you're an enemy of the cross of Christ, you obviously will not have joy, will you? Yeah? You know what God's like when you look at the cross. You know what he's done when you look at the cross and you see the fullness of God. Then if there are those who don't like the message of the cross or the enemies of the cross, they will have no joy. It just goes without saying. It it is surprising to find the depth of anger against the message of the cross in Christian circles. It's not surprising outside of the church, but it's surprising that people despise the message of the cross because the cross does this. The cross says you're a sinner. It exposes your sin. It exposes your idols. It exposes your false hopes. It exposes your false doctrine. So if the message of the cross is actually hated within the church, they will have no joy. You will have an angry church. And I think we probably all know angry Christians. Well, we all know angry churchgoers. Maybe I should say that. Because the message of the cross brings joy. Now look at the joy that Jesus went through when it goes to the cross. I'm jumping out of Philippians here, but just to explain it. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus was joyful as he went to the cross because he knew what it was doing, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy is found in the cross. Reject the cross, reject joy. It's a bit like this. Here, have a cup of joy. Right? No thanks, I think I'll just stay self-centred, cross-hating. Thank you. Thank you. We either have the cross, which shows we have no goodness in ourselves and therefore we receive the gift, or we try and make our own goodness. And Paul in Philippians speaks of his own life and he says, I did all these things perfectly. I obeyed the law. I did all that and I thought I was acceptable to God because he did all those things. This is in chapter 3. And he lists them off and then he says, they were a load of rubbish compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. When Paul was building his own goodness, was he filled with joy? When Paul was filled with his own goodness, he was breathing out murderous threats against Christians. He was filled with anger. And when he knew Christ, he was filled with joy. You see, self-righteousness, building your own goodness, building your own justification, that's called religion, does not bring joy. It brings anger and it brings internal turmoil. If you find you, we all slip into this path sometimes. So if you find yourself angry one night while you're laying in bed, or while you're driving your car, or walking down the road, and you're thinking about other people, you're probably looking to your own righteousness. Look to Christ. There's often in um, religion and in self-justification and in self-righteousness. A fake joy. It's where we hear a message of joy and you go and you have that smile on your face. You smile with your 
lips but not with the rest of you? Well, you actually smile with your whole face but not with your heart. That's what a fake joy is. It's where you pump it up and you think, I have to show people how joyful I am. I have to show people how joyful I am. You know, that sort of feeling. Fake it, maybe it'll come later. (laughs) It won't. It's a load of rubbish. It's self-built. You actually find joy when you realise you're helplessly sinful and you totally need his gift. So Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He actually says this a number of times in the book. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for those dogs. Look out for those evildoers. And who are the evildoers in, in, in this letter? Those who try and be good themselves without Christ. Watch out for those. They are dangerous. Do you know what they'll do? They will destroy your joy. When we slip into self-justification, we, we slip out of joy. You can't be good in yourself, only in Christ. Because, and then he goes on to say, but we are those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We don't put confidence in our goodness. We put our confidence in him. And Paul speaks also of the way, just if you're wondering where I'm going, remember this is uh, the places where we lose our joy. Paul speaks of them. Paul speaks of the way that people who try to create their own joy end up insatiable. Do you know what that means? Unsatisfiable. They can't get there. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset and earthly thing. We spoke about that a few weeks ago. If when you fill your belly with earthly things, when you keep eating those earthly things, you're never full. You're never satisfied. You never have that true joy. But then he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from there we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. When we see that our our citizenship is in heaven, we are deeply satisfied. We have joy. And then again, what can upset us in this world? What I'm saying is this. When we look anywhere else to Christ, we will not have joy. We will lose it, especially when we look to ourselves and our own goodness. We will lose our joy. And by the way, when we lose our joy within the Christian church and look to ourselves, we make the whole church miserable too. Yay. Yeah. There probably no churches like that. Okay, I'm talking for too long here. Um, verse number five, Paul speaks of this. He has a great joy in the church. He loves the church. Paul absolutely loves it and he loves it when the church is at unity in the gospel. He loves it when the church loves each other and has concern for each other. He said in chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had the opportunity saying, when I knew that you had a genuine care, I was full of joy. I rejoiced. And in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank God for all of you, in all my remembrance of you, Always in, my, in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. When everybody's united in the good news, the gospel, 
he has great joy. And I'm sure of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It gives me great joy to know that God's at work in you, holding and keeping you through the good news. So Paul is full of joy when the church is one in the gospel, not just one. Because you see, you can be deeply united over useless stuff sometimes. You can have a group of people who get together and have some sort of cause, but it's really eternally pointless. But when the church is united by the gospel, there's great joy. Church is good, by the way. Philippians 2, he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in one full accord and one mind. Again, the Spirit draws us together in love. And then finally, sorry, I'm bringing lots of verses together, but he says to you, oh, by the way, I'm sending you Timothy. I love Timothy. He loves Timothy, right? And he, and he says, the joy I have in Timothy, make sure you have that same joy too. In other words, receive each other from the church with great joy. He says in chapter 2, verse 28, I think it's chapter 2, I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. This is chapter 4. And that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honour such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here comes a man who nearly died for the gospel. Receive him with joy. Right, that smiles. I don't know what it's about. Okay, so we've got five points here. We've got one more one to come. But the five points were, you have joy when you know who God really is through Christ. Joy in the gospel when it's preached. Joy when we know we're secure in Christ, even in death. Joy when we put aside all those things which don't bring joy. There's joy when the church is united in the gospel. And the last one is quite simply, there's joy when you trust God. When you simply trust God and therefore pray, you will have joy. That's really basic, isn't it? So Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See what he's saying? By faith, simply trust God. And when you come into problems, pray to him, turn to him, and you'll have joy. I'll say it again, rejoice. You won't be anxious. I've given a number of things here. Believe it. And I'll say again, do you know joy in your life? Because if you don't, come to Christ and pray as David prayed when he'd sinned, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Pray that. If you want to know the joy of God today, pray and accept the Lord Jesus.